For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Tis a joyful day indeed. Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. A sports ethos presentation. We got a monster, monster Wednesday to recap. We also have a hit with a first-time guest on the podcast. Gerald Bourget on the show to discuss the evolution of the Phoenix Suns and, of course, Christopher Paul. And as I think about it, we should probably do that first. So before we really truly get settled in for our big Wednesday recap, I'm going to tell you, first of all, I'm Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is a Sports Ethos presentation but I want to dive in with Gerald really fast here, right at the outset, and uh, let's check in on the Phoenix Suns. So look, this week has now unofficially become Chris Paul's celebration week, and I see no better way to uh, sort of ring the bell on that than to talk to someone who's been covering this whole process. That's Gerald Bourget. He's the lead Suns writer for PHNX Sports. Gerald, first of all, uh, welcome to the show for a first time. It's really a pleasure to have you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so... Uh, we're, we're going to be doing a little bit of like a, a time traveling twist here, uh, where this is being recorded a few hours before Chris Paul makes his return to the Suns lineup. But most folks, by the time they hear it now, will know, will have known how that went. Um, so with that in mind, uh, Gerald, what I kind of want to go back to the beginning, you know, he played a few minutes in a game on November 7th, Chris Paul did came out. We were told it was heel soreness, and not much was made of it at the time. And now all of a sudden, four weeks later, four and a half weeks later, a full month really, he resurfaces with an upgrade to questionable tag. He's ready to go. What was the feeling you got kind of being around the team in terms of you know, why it took so long? Is this something that could linger? Where, where do they feel they are with him health-wise? Yeah, it's kind of been odd and an ongoing saga for us to kind of unravel <laughs> out here in the Valley. Um, because a few weeks ago, we had asked Monty about it because for about three weeks, he was technically listed as day-to-day, which, you know, that's not day-to-day. That's not what that means. <laughs> so, you know, Monty had said something to the effect of, we haven't really come out and said everything about what it is, Um because that's just not how they operate when it comes to injuries to which we're kind of like, okay, so if it's not sore heelness, is it, is it an Achilles thing? Is it something more serious? Like what's going on? Um, And then about a week later, we were talking to James Jones and asked him for kind of clarification. And he said, no, it's just a sore heel. Like that's what it is. Uh, It's just a nagging injury. And at 37 years old, we're being cautious with him uh, because we're taking a long-term view to this season. And obviously he's still, under contract for a few more years, not guaranteed, but still. 
Um, so it, it's kind of been weird trying to bridge the gaps of, okay, is this like just a sore heel that they're being overly cautious with because they want to make sure he's completely healthy when he's back out there and it's just this nagging injury? Is it something more serious that we haven't been told about? Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of been a conundrum, honestly. Yeah, it's really been confusing for for all of us uh, on the outside as well uh, because of like what you said. It seemed like he could have popped up in any ball game those first couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden it was all right. Well, we, you know, we'll look at him like towards the end of a week. We'll give him three, four days, ruled out a day in advance for a week and a half after that, and then all of a sudden back. You know, I will say as someone who's about a year and a half older than Chris Paul, I, you know, all, lots of parts of me do hurt, and they <laughs> they, they, they hurt for a month at a time. Um, mm. So I get it. I guess it sort of shines a light on how amazing it's been that he hasn't really had this type of stuff since those Houston years where, you know, say whatever you want about why that was happening out there. There may have, that may have been more of a <laughs> just like not getting along <laughs> thing than actual whatever, like the hamstrings were always acting up. He's been a pillar of health in Oklahoma city and now Phoenix coming into this one mm-hmm. going back, maybe even farther before the absence began, Gerald, do you feel like this was something that may have been impacting his play? Because Chris Paul really hasn't been shooting the ball all that well this year for the first time since Houston, basically. Yeah, it's been weird. And I think part of it though, is just an adjustment to playing more off the ball than maybe he even did in Houston um, I, I know for a fact, cause we asked him today, he talked to us for a little bit at shoot around and he was pretty coy as far as the injury itself and, you know, the recovery process, what <laughs> no, that's been like for him. No team but say anything did. about injuries anymore. I, I remember they the really days, don't. Oh, remember those days it was only like four years ago when teams actually told us what was going on. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, uh, they like want to maintain this illusion that by not telling us what's really going on, they'll have some competitive advantage because their opponents <laughs> won't be able to like scheme for his, his heel or what. I don't know. But uh, he was saying, I did ask him like, was it that play in Philly where he kind of like stepped over a pick and landed wrong? And that's when he came out and he said, yeah, it was that play. Hmm. Um, so I know for a fact, it's not something that was really bugging him beforehand. I do think, you know, playing more off the ball because the Suns have been wanting to, let Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson before he got hurt initiate more of the offense, kind of play him off ball more. That's been kind of an adjustment for him. Um, and I think it's contributed a little bit because he's, you know, at 37, his release is not as uh, quick as it used to be. So I think <laughs> some of his spot up numbers have been hurt by that a little bit. I would be remiss if I didn't also ask, and this is really just placing the ball on the tee for you. How good has Mikhail Bridges mm-hmm. been this year? <laughs> he's been fantastic. I mean, just you don't even have to look at his numbers and see that he's posting career highs across the board. You can just kind of feel there's this different amount of confidence exuding from him. Like a lot of the mid-range jumpers and turnaround jumpers that he's taking are things that we only saw sparingly in the past. And that's kind of for the last year or two now, it's been if Mikhail Bridges is going to be that guy, if he can be consistent and be a threat on the offensive end when defenses hone in on Devin Booker and Chris Paul, the Suns are going to be really hard to stop because we know DA is a great play finisher. They need a third guy that can be a play creator. Um, and Mikhail, you know, he's, he's still not at that level of consistency yet where he's like, okay, this is the third guy in a big three, but he's getting closer. He's inching closer and closer to that. Um, so it, it's been really fun to watch his confidence and, you know, hear Monty Williams compare his kind of mid-range game to 
uh, Glenn Robinson from back in the day. Like <laughs> the big he's, dog. he's making the leap. Yeah, the big dog. He's he's making a leap. So it's been fun to watch. Yeah. So uh, you know, I don't know what kind of hit it would be if we uh, didn't talk about Devin Booker. But guess what? We're not going to talk about Devin Booker. I want to <laughs> talk about DeAndre Ayton uh, sure. briefly here, and then loop back around to Chris Paul before I let you go. Uh, it seems like Ayton has kind of found a rhythm after a really slow start to the year coming out of kind of a goofy series of press conferences after the the extension was signed and everybody was looking at it like oh okay so the vibes maybe not so great right now but uh he looks a lot happier these days and is it all a confidence thing with him i don't know if it's a confidence thing i think it's a myriad of factors honestly because you mentioned the vibes coming into the season were not good the people were wondering if he even wanted to be here still <laughs> whether he and Monty had talked in months over the summer, like there were all these different storylines and it was kind of striking the other night uh, after Patrick Beverly kind of body checked him in the back there and got ejected. We were talking to DA in the locker room afterwards and he was just kind of ranting and raving about keeping his composure because of the way this team has been embarrassed in the playoffs the last two years. They're taking a long-term approach. He knows he can't retaliate and get suspended. And he was attributing all of that mindset to Monty, who's hmm. instilled this long-term view in him. So it appears they've definitely buried the hatchet in that regard for him to kind of speak at length about how Monty has taught him the value of just being available and being locked in on these long-term goals that they have. Um, but I, I think that moment from that game or from the Utah game that they lost when he came alive in the fourth quarter, he's just been a whole different brand of physical. He's been a lot more... Uh, embracing of contact and getting to the foul line more often that's been huge because he's not a guy that gets there very often attacking the offensive rebounds doing a lot of the little things that it doesn't take much for him to be able to put his imprint on a game when he does those things and I think he's locked into those things lately and just embracing that physicality in a way that we really haven't seen very often Talking to Gerald Bergay, the lead Suns writer for PHNX Sports. I, I don't want to get you in any trouble with this question, but I, does it make your job easier when the vibes are better? Oh, absolutely. Like, it's not, it's <laughs> not even. And, and, like, Monty jokes about this all the time, the way that they respond to losses the following game with a good performance. They're a bunch of sore losers. But you can definitely feel it even after <laughs> a loss. Like, the answers are much shorter there's uh, not as much friendly banter. So it, it's definitely better for me and for the responses I'm getting when the vibes are, are high <laughs> like this. I had to figure. I don't want to like accidentally throw anybody <laughs> under the bus there. Um, looping back around to Chris Paul, because again, you know, we're doing this weird thing where you and I are recording this before we actually see how his return goes. What are your expectations? What are the team's expectations for how CP3 gets sort of re-ingratiated with the team minutes-wise? Is there going to be, you think, a cap on things? Uh, and then where does it go, like maybe over the next week or two? Yeah, so unfortunately we didn't get concrete details on that at shoot-around just because as of right now he's technically listed as questionable. Obviously Chris Haynes had the report that he's probably going to play barring a setback, and it seemed like he was gearing up for playing time. But I would imagine, you know, after not playing for, I think, 14 games now, that he would be on a minutes restriction of some sort. I don't even know if he'll start in this game. And if he does, I wouldn't expect him to play much more than like 20, 25 minutes max. He was saying at shoot around, like it's been tough for me to figure out when to come back the last week or so, just because, you know, they've had so many games and I haven't had an opportunity to practice with the guys to get some five and five on five in and kind of test it. 
and see how it holds up. So, um, you know, he's still kind of considering himself a game time decision. I'm sure he's going to play. I would probably put it around 20, maybe 25 minutes would be my guess. Okay. Uh, sounds good. I mean, that's that's effectively it. What We're going to have to be a little bit reactive with how everything goes. Um, Gerald, thank you so much for carving out some time on a game day, no less, to jump on the show. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for having me on. You are the man. He is at Gerald Bourget, B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T. Don't worry, you'll be tagged in all the stuff that goes out about the pod. But just in case you wanted to try to spell it on your own and have an adventure, as someone with the last name Bespris, you know, we walk down a similar path here of trying to spell things in an audio format. Uh, Gerald, again, thank you so much, my man. We'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. Very excited. Um Truly, I just like I get a I get a warm and fuzzy feeling when we get a new guest on the podcast, and Gerald's an excellent one. It gives us a, a nice pipeline into what's going on out in the Valley of the Sun. What are the Suns working on? What's the team vibe? All those little things that you can't really get from a tweet that you can elaborate on in a longer form podcast. So big thank you to Gerald. He is at Gerald Bourget, B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T on Twitter. Go check him out immediately. Want to remind everybody, uh, as always, check out our buddies over at manscaped.com. Use promo code ethos20 to get 20% off and free shipping on whatever you purchase at manscaped.com. I heard from a number of you on social media, at Dan Vespers on Twitter, saying that you've been considering Manscaped for a while. Just do it. It's the holiday season. You got 20 bucks if you want to get some shears or... If you want to get some Manscaped brand chapstick or boxers or any of the the sort of personal grooming or the personal items, or go a little bit bigger, get the Lawnmower 3.0. I know they want you to get the 4.0. I'm telling you, get the 3.0. You will not regret it. I can promise you this. I've been using that one myself. They sent me the 4.0. I have both. I use the 3.0. I very rarely shave with a straight razor anymore when I do it's like the base of my neck my cheeks you know stragglers you guys know straggler hairs those all take off with like an actual razor and they have a good one of those too I think they call it the plow which everything's got a silly name in manscape but almost everything else that I do you know the the edges on my beard trimming back my neck hair when I don't have to actually go and see anybody just so I don't have a neared that's all with the lawnmower 3.0 so go use promo code ethos 20 at manscaped.com, 20% off free shipping on whatever you get with our longtime partners. Really enjoy working with them as well. Uh, had a couple of you guys reach out about the uh, openings here. NBA, MLB, NHL, NFL, whatever it might be on the fantasy side. If you're, again, interested in, if you think you can be a fantasy analyst, and it's a grind, you know, don't make, make no mistake, like, you can't take a day off when this stuff is going on. But hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespers or email roster at sportsethos.com. And a big thank you again to everybody that's been rating and reviewing the podcast. You guys are helping us elevate this thing. Every time we get a little chunk of those, it helps move the needle on what we can become, either on Twitter, on the pods, whatever. Everything is growing. We're all we're building here at Sports Ethos. But let's get into the wild Wednesday night. I mean, this was like... This was the definition of a big Wednesday. Because sometimes you get a 10, 11, 12 game card on a Wednesday night, on whatever night. 
and nothing happened. It just, you know, it, every game just reaffirmed things you already know. And this was not that. So let's just dive right in. Orlando beat the Clippers in overtime, 116-111. The good news is Kawhi Leonard played 30 minutes. The bad news is he still just doesn't have any lift. He shot, uh, what is that, three for fi- four for 15 did have 14, 7, and 3 with a couple of three-pointers, made his four free throws, but had four turnovers, no steals, no blocks. He still doesn't quite have that typical bounce, but it's coming. It's coming. And, you know, they couldn't use him late when they kind of needed him here. Terrence Mann had a big ball game, but you can't rely on that. Nick Batum has been looking really good, but Marcus Morris was sick. John Wall was resting part of a back-to-back. Norman Powell still dealing with a groin injury. Luke Kennard is out. I think that's part of a back-to-back, but he's been kind of dinged up also. Here's the thing. You know, Ivica Zubats, you can trust him. Uh, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard coming on. This was just... And this has been going on with the Clippers now, and it's been kind of a, a little bit of a problem for them. Not a big one, because for so long, Kawhi has been so good that when he's playing iso ball, you know, it works. And Paul George has been so good for so long when he plays iso ball, it works. As these guys get older and slower, and whatever you want to, you know, Paul George losing like a tenth of a step, Kawhi Leonard losing like basically a full step right now, although he's still, you know, gaining speed, that trade-off offense really hurt them in this one. Missing free throws kind of hurt also, but the trade-off offense, they shot 41% against one of the worst defenses in the NBA. On the other side, Mo Wagner got another start, despite Mo Bamba being back, and Wagner was amazing. Uh, and, you know, I guess at this point, if he's jumped Bamba, then you can make Wagner an ad until Wender Carter Jr. comes back. Now, it's possible that in the next one, maybe that flip-flops, and you know, funny little side note on this one, Bamba was a plus 17, Wagner was a minus 12, and some of that has to do with the units they're playing against on the other side, but also, you know, Bamba was pulling Zubats out to the perimeter and lighting him up. They both actually looked pretty good for whatever it's worth. It's just that Wagner got, you know, two and a half times the number of minutes as Bamba. Uh, So go with the starter. That's kind of, I think, how you can play this one. Bull Bull bounced back. This is your opportunity to sell on Bull if you want to. Not that I think it's going to fall off a cliff. It's just he's going to have games where he's sort of low on fuel, and there will be more of those than games where he has a full tank going forward. Or at least, you know, closer to an even number, maybe we should say, as opposed to before, where it was like giant line every night. Uh, but, I mean, you don't sell, you're not selling both for anything worse than like 65, 70 range guy. He's had a great season so far. So don't, this is not an abandoned ship thing. This is an opportunity, as we've talked about. When we talk about selling on this show, you're locking in profit. Franz Wagner was not great, but the worst story was Markel Fultz, who had foul trouble throughout the first three quarters, just never got into a rhythm couldn't get any shots up, couldn't work through the Clippers' defense. Brutal game, but you're not doing anything with it. He just had a terrible night. That's that's the whole story there. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly. 
the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Knicks beat the Hawks, 113-89. Uh, R.J. Barrett, uh, Bruce Bowen, DeJounte Murray invaded his space on a jumper. DeJounte turned an ankle and was not the same from that point forward in the ballgame. Came out after I think he tried to walk it off for a minute, and uh, then he was done. So that sucks because uh, I know a lot of Sports Ethos folks have DeJounte Murray, and now he's down and out. Uh, you know, it's going to mean more Trey Young going forward. Trey did not have a good ball game here, but he's going to be relied upon to do almost everything uh, starting in the next one. I presume that DeJounte is going to miss a couple of ball games as well. Over on the Knicks side, Quentin Grimes, who we've been talking about as like a perma-watchlist dude, had a really nice one. 23-4-2, a couple blocks, five three-pointers, only took 11 shots. And, you know, he's going to get added in some spots. He's probably going to get dropped in a couple others. But maybe he's, you know, just little inching forward situation with Grimes could get him to a point where he could be useful. And this one we talk about. You know, he plays 40 minutes in their competitive ball games. He just doesn't get enough to do in them. Lakers rested all of their relevant players on the second night of a back-to-back in Toronto. Thomas Bryant became a really nice stream, but uh, one would assume Anthony Davis is back from his cold or flu for their next ball game so you're not making any real adjustments there toronto they've settled in now to kind of the the usual fare gary trent playing plenty of bench minutes barnes Ananobi, van vliet siakam i know boucher actually got 25 minutes but some of that was blowout stuff so no real adjustments on that ball game either we are expecting the nets will have ben simmons back on friday so I don't know that I'd read too much into Seth Curry getting lava hot and Joe Harris hitting a couple more three-pointers. I think I'd rather just focus on the main stuff. Uh, Royce O'Neal's been in a pretty good slump. He'll break out of it. And when he does, his value is going to rocket boost because he's still doing the rebounding, the passing, still getting defensive stats. I have no reason to move off our valuation on Royce, at least not until he shows some sort of slowing in his minutes or his role, which hasn't happened yet. As far as Charlotte goes, you know, a lot of sort of non-updates. LaMelo Ball is getting closer. Dennis Smith Jr. is getting closer. P.J. Washington was in the middle of a pretty good ball game and then got poked in the eye. But, you know, if that's an absence, it would presumably be a relatively short one. The nice thing here, uh, forget Jalen McDaniels for a minute because he does fluctuate pretty regularly, regularly between usable and not. Terry Rozier. Over 50% shooting. Could this be the start of the Terry Rozier surge we've been waiting for all season long? Because it's been it's been a haul, man. That field goal percent, much like with Keldon Johnson, is just sagging. 38% on 21 shots per ball game. But the other stuff is all pretty good for him. So that's that one thing we're waiting on. Huge game from Kyrie Irving, which, you know, if you've been... Uh, waiting on that, hoping for that, then this was certainly that type of moment. Um, Kyrie's been a little bit weird. I think we were hoping probably for more assists on the season because the percentages are pretty good. 
Uh, scoring is fine. You know, they don't need him to score 30 with KD around. I, I thought his per game would be a little bit better than this. You know, looking back at last year, uh, you know, the extra assist, the extra steal, but his blocks have been a little bit better. And it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's not ex- precisely where we wanted it with Kyrie, but he's been fine. And now, again, we just kind of have to hope that he plays games the rest of the way. And if he does, then we're in pretty good shape. Washington hunting, hung in there without Bradley Beal. They've actually been kind of okay without Beal this year. Uh, what's hard to figure out with the Wizards is sort of on the game-to-game without Beal, who's going to get to do enough? Because the last time Beal was out, Jordan Goodwin actually put up some numbers. Monte Morris missed a couple of games in there. He was better in this one. Monte, 17 points, 8 assists. Denny Avdia was solid the last time Beal was out, and he was good again in this one. 10 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, 4 steals. So I think, and it's hard to make any blanket statements about the Wizards without Beal, because he's out for a week. So we, we should be able to find something to do with this. We don't have to, but it feels like we should. My inclination is to pass up on Corey Kispert, because he mostly just does it with three-pointers, and there's plenty of those guys out there right now. Monty Morris playing this many minutes and having the ball in his hand a little bit more was intriguing, but I'm going to need to see Monte do it again before I advise any kind of pickup there. Avdia is the one that I would look at and say, yeah, I think we could probably feel relatively safe getting him in there and doing stuff with him. Because when Beal's out, he gets his, you know, his minutes are fine, but they are higher when Beal's not around. You know, that, that's a tick up. He played, what, 39 in this ball game, and that was competitive, so that had something to do with it. But, you know, he had 34, 30, 31. He had some, like, a 40-burger in there. He's not getting a bunch of three-pointers, but he gets, he gets steals. He gets blocks. And the thing that's really helpful for Avdia is when Beal is out, his assists go up. The scoring actually doesn't change all that much. He still only takes, like, seven, eight shots a ball game. But it's the assists. He's orchestrating. He's bringing the ball up the court a little bit more. He's kind of the de facto other point guard along with Monte Morris. And that's extremely useful. So I'll say yes to Avdia, maybe to Monte Morris, probably not to Kispert, and probably not to Jordan Goodwin, who we were keeping an eye on, but he didn't really get to do much of anything in this one. Alex Caruso, he's gone full steals specialist mode in the starting lineup here. Uh, he did have nine assists in this ballgame. It's not consistent enough, so you can't really do anything with it. Same kind of story for Patrick Williams. We need these guys. We need the Bulls to be missing one high-usage player for those guys to be relevant. It's the same story as it was before. But what was nice to see here was a really good game out of Vooch, who's been kind of quiet lately. He's, you know, he's mid-40s on his per-game numbers. Uh, good to see him get it kind of clicked back up even if just for a night. And this is a, not the world's easiest matchup either because Porzingis is is tough at the other end. KP had another decent ball game. He missed some free throws and had some turnovers, but otherwise it's tough to complain about that one. Memphis blew out Oklahoma City, so you get right back onto the roulette wheel. Um, you know, Shea played plenty of minutes, but his line wasn't cr- as good. Took 19 free throws. The free throw thing with Shea Gilgis-Alexander is pretty yeah, is actually remarkable. Jeremiah Robinson Earl nearly double-doubled. He's he's so close, man. I'm still pro-Robinson Earl because the minutes have been there more than anything else. Even in a game where they were getting steam trained here, uh, he still played. 
Pokushevsky, I think we can drop. Uh, either Jalen Williams, neither one of those I'm I'm interested in right now. I just think Robinson Earl has done enough to be on rosters. As far as Memphis goes, John Morant had a high percentages game, so this is a much better one for him. JJJ blocked five shots, so that'll get the job done there. Uh, Dylan Brooks had the rare good game. He's on way more rosters than he belongs on. And then when Memphis gets themselves into a blowout situation, that's when Brandon Clark can get it going too. But you can't rely on that game to game. John Conchar was the slight disappointment here. He is the chill stream. And so every once in a while, you're going to have a game where he just doesn't really do anything. And uh, you're going to have to be okay with that. But overall, he's been a pretty good fill-in. Supposedly, we were going to get some kind of report on Desmond Bain. Uh... I, I don't, it may have slipped past me. I'm recording kind of late at night on Wednesday, so, you know, maybe it slipped out or perhaps it dropped first thing Thursday morning, which would be after I'm recording this podcast, but I, I haven't seen anything yet. We'll keep an eye out. There's an old joke where the punchline is, I'll keep an eye out for you. And anytime I hear that line, I feel like I want to go tell the joke, but I don't, I don't think I can. Uh, I was talking on yesterday's podcast about how most of the Pistons were struggling to have nine cat value and they got mad at me about it so Sadiq Bey had a better nine cat line Hayes had a better nine cat line Jalen Duran actually had a better nine cat line but Marvin Bagley stunk Jaden Ivey stunk Boyan Bogdanovich got tossed Isaiah Stewart stunk the the lack of consistency with the Pistons is uh upsetting meanwhile over on the Pelican side I, you know, I didn't have this game pegged as the one where Larry Nance was finally going to have to play a competitive level of minutes, but you got to see it again. Jose Alvarado left with a rib contusion, so they went big, interestingly enough. And Trey Murphy's been a fantastic fill-in for Brandon Ingram this whole time. Najee Marshall had another really good ball game, but, you know, I, I can't trust it because the usage, frankly, is too low. Zion was good. JV was fine. But Nance got 29 minutes. I mean, this is what we've been talking about. Pelicans have had almost no single-digit games, and they finally got one against the Pistons of all teams. So they had to go to extra Nance, and he delivered. Didn't score much, but that's not why you have him anyway. Nine boards, a three-pointer, a couple of blocks, an assist. You'll take it. The 29 minutes is a big deal. If you could tell me when the Pelicans were going to have competitive ball games, I'd tell you when to use Larry Nance Jr., did not expect this was going to be that ball game. Uh, I, you know, honestly, the thing about this game that that tickles me is that Marvin Bagley is still Marvin Bagley, and you know, one or two good ball games doesn't change that. And now two horrible ones. He's completely fallen off the map. De'Aaron Fox, the slowdown that we all knew was coming, has come. He's now fallen into the. Uh, I think he's in the mid thirties now. And, you know, this, I don't want this to sound like I have some kind of weird schadenfreude about Darren Fox not being as good for a couple of ball games. Far from it, I've said it 15 times on this show, that the Kings' season win total over is my biggest bet of the year, so I need the Kings to keep winning ball games. We just, from an analysis standpoint, it feels good to be right. And so for Darren Fox, we knew his percentages weren't going to hold. They were too high. And now they're just coming back to earth. And that's okay. Malik Monk has been good enough lately. Uh, Kevin Herter, uh, you know, much like Darren Fox, we knew was going to slow down after a quick start, but he's still in that, you know, 80-85 range, so he still belongs on rosters. Demonis Sabonis has been steadily moving up the board. Harrison Barnes has continued to show us enough efficiency 
to keep himself right on the edge of fantasy relevant. Not a must-start guy, but pretty close. And then Keegan Murray had a better ball game here. 15-4-1 with a steal, a couple blocks, and three three-pointers. This is why, you know, we look at him and say, okay, when do we want to get in on this dude that people drafted? Bunch of herbs. Told you guys not to draft rookies. You know, you can't, you just, you can't do it. Especially because everybody's going to get so fed up with their lack of productivity at the beginning of the year. And uh, and they did. And that's what keeps happening here. I'm, I'm like thinking back to conversations I've seen on Twitter of like what his value was at the beginning of the season. And it was just so wildly overblown from preseason games and summer league stuff. And it's the same thing over and over again. We got it. Folks, you got to have better long-term memory. You, you just, you got to stick with me on this stuff. But then you have opportunities, you know, when a guy is struggling the way Keegan did or Jabari Smith Jr. at the beginning of the year to get in on these rookies at a much cheaper price than what they were drafted at. Question is, when do we want to take the plunge? You know, this game was not an explosive one. It was just a quietly effective one for Keegan. So I don't know. I mean, like, it's not a top priority for me. I just, I think there's probably a little bit of wiggle room for value there. And I want to make sure we can at least kind of poke it, kick the tires on it when the timing is right. Uh, everything looked pretty normal on the Milwaukee Bucks side of this ballgame. Giannis, big one. Drew, huge one. Middleton, a little bit less rusty here. A little bit. They're trying to keep his minutes just slightly in check, but a pretty good ball game. Brooke Lopez, another big one. Oh, man, I don't know how he's doing it, but he's doing it. And we move on. Minnesota got off to a really fast start. They were able to hold off Indiana. Halliburton was back. He had a huge ball game. Miles Turner was back. He had a big ball game. Buddy Heald broke out of his slump. Andrew Nemhard slid back into a uh, standing around posture, although I do think he still belongs on rosters, though. Six boards, three assists, two steals, a three-pointer. He did get 10 shots up. That would be enough for him, given he can kind of do the well-rounded fantasy line. So I wouldn't punt on Nemhart, mostly because the minutes are still there. And at some point... I don't know when that point is going to be, but at some point, and you're already starting to see it happen, things catching up with the Pacers a little bit. Four and six, their last 10. You know, if that keeps happening, four and six, three and seven, that type of stuff, eventually they're going to find themselves sort of looking up at the Eastern Conference, and then they'll have some tough decisions to make. We're just not there yet. The really sad bit of news on this game, Jalen Smith sat it out, and Isaiah Jackson still didn't get to play. They just went to more Aaron Neesmith. So Ajax has no path. You can move on. Officially, you can move on. We're six weeks in. It's not happening. On the Minnesota side, uh, Kyle Anderson, slow-mo got the start, but only played 22 minutes. And this is some of the stuff I was worried about. He had some really nice games to begin the cat fill-in role. But then in this one, they, they leaned more into the Jalen Noel, you know, bench pop type of thing. And you can understand why. Noel actually played really well. He was a plus 21 when he was on the floor. It could flip back to slow-mo in the next one. It was good to see Wendell Moore not involved. So at least we don't have to worry about that kind of screwing up the program. And I kept telling you that Nas Reed's minutes were tied to Rudy Gobert foul trouble and ejection issues, and that indeed was the case here. Nas just basically played the the uh, non-Gobert center minutes. In fact, he didn't even get all the center minutes in the ballgame. J.D. McDaniels, very much a hold uh D'Lo is going to have a bigger role here with Cat out. I I'm contemplating flipping Slomo out and Noel in 
But it's also possible that I just settle on neither. <laughs> you know, we don't have to do something with every stream opportunity, whatever, however we want to frame this. We don't have to. Uh, Larry Markkinen missed the Utah Jazz game. He's been uh, relatively reliable so far this year. So the Jazz went to kind of a different look. It it didn't dramatically change the minutes for Jared Vanderbilt because he was still in that 20-some-odd range. But he got them coming off the bench, and he just... You know, he did even less, which is kind of surprising. It didn't really change the role of Jordan Clarkson. He still took a crap ton of shots. It didn't really change the role of Kelly Olynyk. Malik Beasley still was sort of a gunner role. Colin Sexton was kind of like the uh, secondary point guard. We thought Mike Conley might be back for this ballgame. He did practice in full... Uh, back on Monday, but it, it seems like maybe they'll... I got to double-check on something. Do the Jazz have a back? No, they don't have a back-to-back. So, you know, maybe we see Conley for the next ball game. at which point we'll have to rethink Malik Beasley and Colin Sexton. You know, we're losing streamers here. Don't worry, guys get hurt every damn ball game, and other ones will pop up. The Warriors side of this is actually a pretty good, damn good example of that. But the big name on the Utah side that deserves a little more attention, Walker Kessler got the start. And if he's seeing 20 minutes, he's very much a fantasy ad. So go ahead and throw him on your roster. This is enough, in my estimation, to say at least, again, speculative ad. You know, maybe Markinen comes back. They move Kessler back to the bench because they don't need all that extra size out there. They can go with the, you know, Vanderbilt as the dude closer to the bucket thing again and spread the floor with the other bigger dudes. Uh, but in this one... I think they wanted to get an even bigger guy out there because they lost Markkinen's rebounding. And Olenek is not really a great rebounding big. And to that end, you know, it kind of worked out. Like, you're playing the Golden State C squad here. It's Jordan Poole and the Jordan Pouliers. Uh Although that's not really true. Clay Thompson was in this one as well. Uh, but Steph Curry out. He didn't travel with them. I think they're hoping to have him back by the end of the week. Same deal with Draymond Green. But Andrew Wiggins actually is out for a couple of ball games, And to that one, uh, I was a little surprised to not see Dante DiVincenzo starting this game for the Warriors. That makes me reticent to call him the Wiggins replacement. Uh, I think I'd rather kind of wait and see what the Warriors do when Steph and Draymond are in and Wiggins is out. It's, it's really too hard to tell when this quantity of players isn't in there. Because, you know, DiVincenzo close to 30 minutes. Jonathan Kaminga up there near 30 minutes. Kevon Looney up near 30 minutes. Ty Jerome in the mid-20s. These are things that you assume will drop as Steph and Dre come back. But you just don't really know how much. And someone's going to have to pick up those 30-odd Wiggins minutes. You can't just, like, give six to everybody. Someone's going to have to step into a bigger role. You would think it's DiVincenzo, but it might just be more Jordan Poole. They might go small. It's kind of hard to know for sure. Oh, right. And uh, on the Sexton front, he hurt himself. So it, it, it's sort of a little bit of a wash, I guess. Um, if Conley was coming back, he was going to lose most of his role anyway. Uh, but now he might just not even play. I guess there's a chance that Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who saw extra time in this game with guys getting ejected and getting hurt, maybe he does a little bit more. I don't think that's something we need to get in front of with Conley likely to make his return. And then, again, kind of looping back to the Walker-Kessler front, he had a really nice ball game, so go ahead and make him a speculative ad and uh, take it from there. 
And then, of course, Chris Paul's return got kind of pooped on. Um, unfortunately, you know, we had a chance to talk to Gerald earlier. I'm sure that the hope was that this would be a more festive evening. But Phoenix just got manhandled by the Celtics in every every possible way. Chris Paul was, not surprisingly, quite rusty. He looked, even to the eye test, a little bit thick. My guess, you know, not able to get the same level of exercise in when you're nursing a foot thing. And he went full Yahtzee mode. Four points, four boards, four assists, four turnovers in 24 minutes. It'll only get better from there. Chris Paul is obviously a start going forward. Phoenix will be more competitive in their next few games. Uh, The only, I think, good news that came out of this was Torrey Craig also made his return. He had 11 points, three boards, and a block. He's uh, continuing to be kind of a low-end but mostly useful fill-in for Cam Johnson, who, by the way, kind of expect to see Cam back in the next, like, two-ish weeks, two to three weeks. So if you can grab him, if he got dropped in your league, this would be a great time to stash Cam Johnson. If you want to squeeze a little bit out of Torrey Craig here, that's fine although there are better options out there. On the Celtics side, Al Horford in protocols, damn it. By the way, I have a rant on Al Horford, and I guess I might as well just crack it off now, because what other opportunities am I going to have? The Yahoo blurb feed, the Yahoo blurb, so when you like click on the little notepad next to the player's name, which I think is populated by Roto World, it it used to be. I haven't double-checked on that. They keep writing things like, Al Horford has been a disappointment this year. And that is really upsetting because then I get all these questions from people out on Twitter, forums, whatever, that are like, hey, well, you know, what should we do with Al Horford? I'm like, what do you mean what should we do? He's number 58. 5'8". 5'8". In nine category leagues. I know he's only scoring 10 points a game, but that's never why you were drafting him. He's shooting 54% with two three-pointers a night, six boards, three assists, half a steal, and a full block. He is basically league average or ever so slightly better in almost every category besides points and steals. And yet I'm getting questions as to what should we do with him. I get it. He hasn't shot as well for like the last three ball games prior to this COVID stint. But 58, 58, he's ahead of Nick Claxton, who I don't think anybody is considering a disappointment. He's ahead of Zach Levine. So please, whoever's in charge of Al Horford blurbs, please pull your head out of your rectum because you're ruining things for the rest of us. <laughs> I, I kid, of course. But it does, it, it creates this weird uh, imbalance in the community where people think somebody is slumping and he's three rounds ahead of his ADP right now. It just doesn't make any sense. So anyway, like if you're trying to sell on Horford before Time Lord comes back, it's not going to happen because people think he's been bad anyway. In terms of this COVID stint, which is annoying, but it's going to happen to guys from time to time, uh, Grant Williams is the obvious pickup there. He's gotten a bump every time Horford sat out. I know Blake Griffin gets the start at center, but Blake Griffin is sort of starter in name only. He's a sino. Uh, you know, too politically close there. Goofy stuff here on the... Sino, 14-6 and six for Grant Williams on a perfect 6-for-6 six six shooting. He's an efficiency pillar, uh, and he'll do pretty much what Horford was doing when Al was in there. So uh, feel free to stream Grant Williams going forward. He's the guy for probably the next two or three games. I think the Celtics are off for a couple of days, though. So, uh, you know, maybe if Al doesn't get COVID too bad, we might see him back in the not-too-distant future. But kind of looping back around to the Chris Paul stuff, obviously, you know, first game back, 
blah, blah, blah. You could just sort of gloss over it. Um, I do remain a tiny bit concerned that this is something that could pop back up again. And I'm not going to panic about it unless something gives me a reason to. There's also the opposite side of that equation where if you really wanted to, you could probably buy low on Chris Paul right now. Because this game, along with the game he had uh, right before the injury, pushed his season numbers down to, where is he now? He's 57. So he had these two kind of artificially low games, two out of his 11 games. Only nine of them was he kind of going full bore, full Chris Paul minutes. And in those, you know, he's an early third rounder. In the other two, he's like top 300. Now, over an 80-game season or 60-something or whatever his turns out to be, those two games won't factor into the average quite as large as they do right now. Two out of 11 games, that's, you know, that's a pretty good percent. That's like 18%. 18% of his games, 18% of the numbers we're building our, our data off of are junk games. So if you could get him for someone, you know, I don't know that anybody would buy into it, but someone in the 50 range, which is now right in front of him, like Brandon Ingram, who's 49, and maybe he'll be back from his toe thing in the next game or two. Uh, Jeremy Grant, who's number 50. Maybe you could get Chris Paul for these guys, who obviously he's going up from there. This isn't what Chris Paul is going to be. He's not going to shoot 36.5%. He's not going to average only 29 minutes a game. We know this is all junk data. But maybe someone in your league is like, oh, you know, he has gotten off to a slow start. And, and to be truthful, he has nine points on bad field goal percent. That's weighing his stuff down. But even more than that, the games where he didn't play normal minutes are weighing his numbers down. So consider a buy. Consider it. And as I said on, I think, yesterday's show, I, you know, I don't have as many Chris Pauls as I thought I would have simply because other people drafted him when I thought he would get back to me. Too many damn people listening to the podcast, I guess. Uh, so I, you know, I might do that. I don't have a ton of time today. It's a very busy Thursday for me, but tomorrow I might carve out like 15 minutes to look at who has Chris Paul in my leagues and see if I have any of those players that match up. You're not going to get him for Horford, but you know, you might get him for Devin Vassell. You might get him for, you know, Tyler Hero at 42. You're not going to get him for Trey Murphy. As good as he's been, Trey's been a, a super stream for most of his games this year because the Pelicans have had one guy out almost the entire season. But look around. See if there's anybody in that like 35 to 55 range that has a big name attached to them that you don't think is also a sell low. Like, don't give up Freddie Van Fleet. He's probably going to be in front of Chris Paul when this is all said and done. They're both suffering from the same general malaise of 36% field goal. Look into it. That's just short version. We'll see if we can find something over on the uh, the interwebsite. We'll see if you can do it. We'll we'll come up with something over on the social side and uh, see if we can come up with a nice buy sell match there. And that's your Wednesday review plus the delightful pre review visit from Gerald Bourget. Very once again thankful that he carved out some time. That was really cool of him. I know you know we recorded that that segment prior to the Suns Celtics game. And it's really busy to cover a team on game day, but he, I don't know where he found the time, but he found the time to hop on with us and, and give us a little insight on uh, what's going on with the Phoenix Suns. Once again, here at the end of the show, thank you to manscaped.com, promo code there, ethos20, to get 20% off and free shipping. Shout out once, as always, to ExpressVPN, 
Our special link over there for an extra three months on your one-year subscription is expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Don't get that one messed up. And over at thrivefantasy.com, promo code there is ethos to get a deposit match bonus up to $250. I will do some more work. Over on social media, so that's where I'll see you, at Dan Bespris, uh, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Do follow Ethos Fantasy BK, do all that other stuff, and if you have any questions of any kind, take them over to our free forums, sportsethos.com slash community is the link for that one. Oh, wild, wild Wednesday night, all sorts of things. Really, a lot of streamers going away right now. That's kind of the story at the moment. How many popped up and how many went away? I got to do like a plus minus thing. I'm not going to do it here at the end of the podcast because I don't want to go through and count it up while you guys are listening to me. And frankly, I don't feel like pausing doing it and coming back. We'll just do that on social as well. I'm also going to try to do more buy sell stuff on social just to like kind of keep everything fresh throughout the day. And the pod and and Twitter working together is, is once again kind of the story here. But you guys have heard that crap from me enough. Have a wonderful Thursday, everybody. Enjoy the uh, slightly lighter card. I don't know. I'd like to say we earned it, but I'm still waiting for the NBA to just give us six, seven games a night, every night. So we can just kind of get into a routine. Not to be. I'm Dan Vespers. See you tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.